0: Hey, you're listening to Blindsight. Let's go. Mental health isn't something
1: to take lightly. It's time to fight. It's time to thrive. Let's do this. All right. Welcome to Blindsight. This is a program that's now under the auspices with the new name of Aftersight. And we're delighted to have you listening in. Uh, just a couple announcements. Uh, one is I just made that now look for AfterSite on your computer, for, for, on our website, and any correspondence or whatever. And we now have a telephone line for giving any feedback, asking any questions, getting a hold of any of us. It's uh, 720-712-8856. And you can reach us also with our uh, feedback line uh, at uh, AfterSight.org. So much for the announcements. And now I'm really pleased to have as our guest, uh, Charlie Kramer, who is a disability life coach. That's right. Charlie, welcome. Welcome to... Blindsight. We're glad to have you aboard. Well, thanks for having me. i'm I'm excited to be here. Great. well, the the first question, of course, is on people's minds is, oh, what's a life coach? Yeah, so
0: a life coach is someone who helps you take action and progress in your life uh, from a specific set of experiences. And there's a ton of different life coaches with multiple uh, types of trainings. Uh, I'm specifically Mm -hmm. a life coach that's trained in mindfulness. So a lot of what I do is focused on how to be in the present moment without judging it and taking a really, almost like a wide angle view of what's going on and assessing not only what to do, but how best to accomplish it as well.
1: Great. Well, how would uh, you be different from, say, a psychotherapist like me or, you know, someone that's in the, uh, you know, mental health field.
0: Definitely. So, uh, and I give you a, a definition of what a life coach is. The only thing I didn't say is that I work only with people with disabilities. So a lot of my training and a lot of the focus is also specific to the disabled experience, not just the blind experience. Uh, mm-hmm. and the difference that I'd say between a psychotherapist and a uh, a coach is that therapy is, is very much based in trauma and looking and ex- looking at what the problems are expressing it and releasing that trauma to break through it so those patterns don't repeat in your life uh and that's a very small definition right but that's common when you go to therapy a lot of it is talk therapy where if someone comes and does a coaching program with me it's much more based in here you are at this moment of your life You've probably done some of the uh, processing that you need to do. You're just wanting new tools and new skills and new direction of what to do, how to do it, and when to make those things happen. And you need someone to guide you along that process and to help keep you accountable. Uh, so it's a little bit more action-based. Someone's going to come to me and say, Charlie, I'm really struggling with my job uh, they're being really ableist towards me and assuming that I can't do different things because of my blindness. And a therapist res- response might be, and how is that making you feel, right? And my response is, great, tell me about exactly what's happening, and let's work on finding some different solutions. So that's a subtle difference. Obviously, a lot of that overlaps. Not every therapist is right. going to ask how that makes you feel. I'm just giving generalizations, and I'll also say that I... I'm in therapy myself and deeply believe in it. It's not an either or, it's just
1: a and for me. Different ways of approaching issues. Uh, Certainly therapy, is there a a set amount of time that you, uh, when you talk to a client, say, okay, we're going to work on this for X number of of times and set it Mm -hmm. that way? Or is it open-ended in what you are trying to do? Yes, (laughs) Yes,
0: <laughs> it's, it's all the things. Uh, I specifically work in an eight-week program. Okay. Depending on whether or not someone is right for a group program or for a one-on-one program, if their needs are a little bit more specialized, then we do that in a one-on-one setting so we can get more creative and uh, do things in a little bit more of a tailor-made way and if you just need to learn specific skills you're struggling with similar issues that a lot of people do with disabilities and the big key mm-hmm. is that if you're struggling with um uh, you know not having a community of people around you that you can connect with that have the same struggles then oftentimes we'll put them in a group program uh sessions often last about an hour but it's not necessarily session based i see everything is Continuous, you know, like I'm constantly talking with my clients and they have access to both me and our support coaches uh, and text message channels. There's training videos, there's homework, there's drives and worksheets. So it's the program itself is not eight sessions, it's really eight weeks of continuous work. Uh, right. and an Intensive. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So you, you work in groups as well as individual? Yeah, we
0: work in groups and as well uh, with individuals, and the groups always still as well have individual touches to them.
1: Uh, yeah, okay. But I think that's an important component that you mentioned because particularly people with disabilities are feel so isolated, and rightly so because it's hard to find one another, and it's hard to... Uh, you know, I I think there's a certain sense that because how people with disabilities feel about it about themselves, that the idea oh I gotta be with another person with a disability yes and I hear that all the time
0: yeah exactly and that's part of why the group program is so important and it's it's our most popular program uh, I I really think it's important for people to normalize their disab- their disabled experience or their blind experience, which is something that I had in my life. You know, I grew up with a mom and an older sister and tons of family members who had the same exact disability as I did. And I got driven to school m- multiple times right. and to like practices and things like that by a neighbor of mine who had MS and drove me to school using her hands and not her feet at all and would ride up into her car with her scooter and then you know shift over and i'm just sitting there like this is normal this is normal you know so i was exposed to that in a very different way at a young age uh and then you know i would even help her or she would help us and it was just like yeah that's, that's whatever you know it was completely normal uh whereas that's not the experience of most people as i've come to find and i try and foster communities where people can learn that it is completely normal to be disabled. It's normal to have these struggles. And a lot of times, just that normalization itself takes care of like 50% or more of the, of the healing work and, and the progress that they want to achieve.
1: You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That That's the, the big difficulty uh, that I experienced, well, individually growing up, uh, my sister and I were the only only ones we knew with with a disability. Right. And we were placed in a public school setting where there were no other, uh, well, once there was a, a kid with a disability, and uh, he did something that was uh, inappropriate, and they yanked him out, and that was the last we saw of him. Yeah, so we we really feel unique, and that feels awfully uncomfortable for kids.
0: Exactly. I mean, almost every one of my experiences, I would say helped me to come to a place of what I do now. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like it's similar for you where, you know, I wasn't put in at the time what was called special education classes. I I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really given accommodations on the tests. They just, you know, I didn't have extra time or I didn't get to circle the answers on the page instead of transferring it to the Scantron. And I'd Sure. Didn't do as well in school because I couldn't see, you know, I, I, and that also helped me to, to assimilate and gain certain skills in the rest of a, a society as well to feel confident and comfortable in the time that I finally started to identify with my disability, integrating that into the rest of the community and the rest of the world. Cause there's a lot of other people with disabilities who have the opposite experience where they're sheltered their whole exactly. life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's about the balance for me, and I think that is hugely important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, the person... See, see, so many... Let's talk about blindness. Sure. There's so many of us who are blind. I have RP as well. Oh, cool. Nice. Uh, and, you know, we we try to manage, and so many of us, in the blindness community, I think there's, uh, the figure I heard was 28% of people with blindness are employed. The rest of them are not. Yeah. And that bothers me because, uh, well, now, you know, I, I think that's that's difficult mm-hmm. to n- not have something that you feel like you're involved in. Yeah. And the question is, if okay, if I'm unemployed, and i say to come you know, hear about you as i hope people are listening in mm-hmm. uh come to you and say uh i'm unemployed i don't know what i need to do i don't know how to uh how to even look et cetera. etc cetera. i can, don't have to tell you what yeah. you know somebody is unemployed would think right what what what's your method what do you do hit them over the head and uh, say you do this. I I don't hit people over the head.
0: I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely tell them do this, you know. So it's it's both, but it depends, you know. I first thing is we have a session that's completely free just to identify exactly what they need and what their goals mm. are. Because they may come to me and say these are all the issues and Those issues are things that maybe I'm not a specialist in. And I'll say, you know what? I really think you should do X, Y, Z. You know, if you're really only struggling with the career aspect and that's the main part of your focus, why don't you go work with this career service center? You know, oh, okay. or if they're like, I'm really struggling in multiple areas and the biggest part of it is my mindset and my confidence and I just feel trapped in this belief system that. People with blindness just cannot obtain work. And my job in that sense is to go, okay, do you really believe that? Or are you you just accepting that as something that you've been told? And when we're able to unravel that, then we can gain certain skills and practices and create a timeline and an action plan that'll actually help them to get to a place of not only feeling confident, but unlearning those lies, and then eventually... Applying to different jobs, knowing that they're capable, right? Because if you don't go into right. those opportunities knowing that you you can do it, you're you're set up for failure, right? And then the biggest thing too is making sure that you know exactly what your accommodations are. So what do you need? That's going to be different because you're blind. That's going to be a thing, and being able to communicate what those needs are in a way that I lets the company know that you're not a hindrance. These are just simply things that you need that help you to be a better employee, right? And I think the communication skills in that frame are really important and something we focus on quite a bit.
1: Well, the confidence to be able to tell a company, look, I need this Mm -hmm. and not not be afraid they're going to blow you out of the water. Or if they Mm -hmm. do, you don't want to work there anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly. A lot Mm -hmm. of times the way we've you know we try and phrase it with our clients is hey i just want to let you know i'm legally blind or hey i just want to let you know i'm blind uh it doesn't have an impact on the quality of my work and it does mean that i do things a little bit differently and i wanted to be transparent and let you know and then you tell them how you do those things differently and then you say also That means that I would need a few accommodations. They don't cost anything, uh, but they're just here to help me throughout throughout that. And I wanted to be transparent with you. Also, I just want to reiterate, it does not impact the quality of my work. It only helps me to be an even better employee. And I trust in you as my employer, and I just wanted to talk to you about that and have an open conversation. If you come at it with that kind of confidence and remind them of those things, I'd say 90% of the time plus, you're going to get good results.
1: Sure, you're not going to, if you come off ashamed, Yes, you're not going to get it. They don't want anybody who's ashamed of being who they are. Exactly. But they may may be very hesitant, but if you can explain, oh, look, this is what I need, and it's simple, and in fact, it's, you know, it's required by law, though you don't yeah. want to say that to them right at that point. No, but. not necessarily at the, at the <laughs> time. <laughs> but it's a good resource if you need it, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I find that too often people with any type of disability or blindness, they they walk into that scenario and go, hey, uh, I, I don't know, I feel a little uncomfortable telling you this. And if it, if it's a no like i totally understand don't right, worry right. i don't want to be a nuisance <laughs> yeah and uh, um so i just need to do things a little bit differently like i use jaws on my computer and that's about this much money and i that would be able to help me to do the work but i don't know if i could do it without it but again like if i can't don't worry about it like if you're presenting it with that level of nervousness and and also you're offering them the choice Well, you're giving them the power to say, you don't need it. You already told me it's okay. When the truth of the matter is that you do need it and it's not a big deal. You don't make it a big deal. You also don't have to go to the extreme as like, I need this or I'm quitting. You know, like it's, it's, it's a balance. It's a balance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that companies are willing, especially in this very, uh, uh, this labor market, which is very tight right now. And this is what. You know, I'm seeing it as a, a real opportunity if we can get uh, people with disabilities to get over that hump of, of fear of rejection. And you know, there there are things that people that yeah. people with disabilities can do that other people don't know it, but we have to tell them. Yeah, exactly. And we have to, and we have to tr- trust. I know somebody, uh, when I first thought about becoming a counselor, uh, someone who a, was who's a psychiatrist laughed. And, you know, I was a little offended, as you can imagine. And, you know, I've got a master's degree now in counseling psychology, and I've been doing this blind for 30 years. Yeah. so and probably a lot you know, better
0: than people who are sighted, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which That's- is... It's it's so interesting to me because I agree with you. I think a lot of times people hear blind or they hear disabled, and they automatically make an assumption that that means incapable. Right. And it, it means that Also, that you have a level of sadness or that you, you know, can't do things in the same way or that your life is not as fulfilled or any of those types of things. When the truth of the matter is that most of the blind people I know, most of the disabled people that I know, it's actually quite the opposite. Um, They feel fulfilled and they feel happy and a lot of times the things that makes them feel unhappy or unfulfilled or like they're not worthy is all the things that society is saying about them but not what they actually exactly. feel about themselves mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. you know well how did you start and how did you get into this so
0: this coaching uh, first of all i just want to say i always love meeting other you know people in the same industry it's it's awesome so it's a fun conversation for me uh, i got into it through years of working actually in the Jewish space, in the Jewish community. Uh, I'm Jewish myself and I grew up doing a multitude of things in the Jewish world. I was a musician, traveled around the world sharing my music. Uh, I was trained as a mindfulness instructor and shared taught mindfulness in, in day schools to elementary school students and teens. Uh, and then I also learned a whole host of skills, like active listening. I mean, any type of skill that you could find that would help you connect with people and run groups. Like I worked as a camp counselor, uh, overseeing different camps. So all this type of experiences were what I thought I wanted to be doing. And I was basically a community leader. And then I had this big awakening of like, oh, this is a part of my identity, the community leader side. And I'm also blind. <laughs> like, I haven't been using a cane. I haven't been opening up about who I am. None of these people knew any of that about me. I just completely uh, yeah. hid it. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, yeah. wait a second, I want to be working in this, in this other community. I want to I be in a space where I'm surrounded by my people because I always felt this level of like emptiness that I couldn't really describe. And the emptiness was that I wasn't connecting with f- my full self. So that took me down a path of retraining, right? Learning new skills, reconnecting with the disabled community, with the with my blindness, with the blind experience, uh, and eventually retraining and re like. Repurposing some of the skills that I've learned and new skills that I'd learned into helping people with disabilities to break through those barriers that they feel to be able to live a life that they're truly happy with and truly proud of.
1: Now, what uh, what I experience uh, uh, from other people is the fear that oh, if I go and follow what I is my dream uh, and I fail, that I'm going to feel terrible, right? And yet. That's exactly what they need to do is to follow their dream and and give it a chance
0: mm-hmm.
1: and see so, you know. You and I agree that uh, we may like the idea of driving an eighteen wheeler, but I don't think that's a good idea for either one of us.
0: A very bad idea, I'd say.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Sounds
0: fun though. If anybody's willing to let me drive their eighteen wheeler on an open road Mm. when no one's around, I would do it for five
1: seconds. Yeah, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. But give us a call just for a few seconds. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't even have the idea of doing it. It just sounds so off the wall. I'm, I use that as an example. But the thing yeah. is, we don't know until we try. Mm-hmm. And But every but so many people are so afraid of failing that they don't try. And then they're, in, in essence, failing. Yeah. And, and that's regret, right?
0: When yeah. you don't act on your dreams because you're afraid of failure— That turns into regret. And the last Mm -hmm. thing that you want to do, that's why there's that famous movie about, you know, the bucket list or this idea of the bucket list, right? I got to do all these things that I promised I would do before I die or before, you know, and then you get this like feeling of like, I got to do it now, right? Mm -hmm. I think life is more enjoyable when you take balanced risks throughout your life, instead of smushing it into one final little, let's go for it right. moment, you know? Right, and it, right. you don't have to take every single risk at one time. It's about taking calculated risks and knowing, do I really need to do this to feel accomplished and valued in my life? And how can I create a safety net around it so I can take the risk, right? Those are the types of questions and the types of things that we help our clients to to move through. Because I agree with you. I. I'm the type of person that I enjoy taking a risk, you know? I, I'm quite quite the opposite. You say, there's a risk. You want to try it? I go, mm, is it a good idea? It's good enough. Here we go. You know, and I just go for it. And yeah, that's right, how I ended up right. starting what I do now. And it's even how I started using my cane. It felt like a risk. And it ended up being a huge blessing for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, I I did take up the cane when it was finally quite clear I had no choice. Right, and I always hated it because a cane doesn't, you know, you put it someplace and you forgot where where it is, and you can't say come and have it come running to you like a dog does. So, right. So the dog makes the difference for me, but a lot of people don't like the idea of a dog. But you try it out, see if if you mm-hmm. like it. Right. Get get the training, you know, go to seeing I see if you really if that's where you want to go. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, if I hadn't been willing to try it, uh, I, you know, I'd really be pretty miserable.
0: Right. And I actually found the exact opposite, which is amazing. There's different paths for different people. Yes, right. You know, you right. went and I did have the training. I went and I had some trials with a guide dog and I tried it out and I just said, you know, this is not for me. I don't enjoy the way that it's leading me. I don't like that. I can't tell it where to go. Cause I still have a small amount of my eyesight left and right. mm-hmm. I enjoy using my cane because it keeps me safe and it keeps other people away from right. me. Right. But it doesn't make all my decisions. I like, I like being in control, which is okay. It's okay to admit, you know, it's one of my flaws
1: Yeah, and it's also yeah. one of
0: my strengths, uh, and that's what led me to decide. Okay, I am just going to use my cane. Maybe later on, I'll like the guide dog. But for now, I, I like my cane. And that's. And then I said, "But I still want a dog." So I got my my little puppy Teva.
1: Maybe, yeah. you
0: know, three and a half years ago, and it's been a huge blessing. It was the right choice for me, and right. that doesn't mean that it's a you know the right choice for everyone. Whereas for you, the right choice was use it was getting a guide yeah. dog.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really was. Except when he decides. Uh, he's in charge, and then I have to have we have to have some conference conferences about uh, who's in charge here. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, yeah. But uh, the the thing is, you know, the thing that I hear from you is, you know, helping people to develop hope. You know that they can achieve what it is that they want to achieve. They don't have to be in some uh dead end job like uh, mm-hmm. uh, a warehouse someplace when they can do more or they can go sure. get advanced education or whatever. And I think that's the big the big uh problem that we have it because we we have internalized ableism. Yes. Yes.
0: That's the exact thing. Okay, so on a on a like a outward marketing type scale i don't use the word internalized ableism that much because most people that are coming to you know they just became disabled they just learned about their blindness for the first time they don't know what internalized ableism is right
1: right, right.
0: but speaking to you yeah that's exactly what we do i help unravel and my team helps unravel internalized ableism that's all we're doing the the ableism that was given to them by society that they, that our clients then decided, oh, that's true, even though it's not, right? Re-help them to unravel it and learn how to combat it in healthy ways with healthy routines and healthy patterns and healthy uh, skills all through a, a lens of mindfulness so that they can live their life based on what their truest desires are rather right. than living their life on what their fears are telling them they shouldn't do. That's right.
1: That's right. And uh, how? uh, what age limit do you uh, provide coaching for? Is there a limit of how old somebody has to be to Um, either young or old to come to you for coaching?
0: Every now and then we get a teenager, you know, which is awesome. Uh, Mm -hmm. If they're under the age of 18, we always, you know, work with their parents at the same time uh cuz a lot Good. of the issues that are connected are connected with their parents so it's kind of like a you got it's it. like a little group in a sense you know there are sessions that we do with the teenager and then there's sessions that we do with the with the parents um, mm. and everyone is involved in that but the kid the teen who has the disability has to be the one who wants to do the work Right, that's a big thing. If someone comes up, comes to us and says, "My son's really struggling to accept their disability; it's hurting their lives, and they don't see it." Can you please help us? I say, I would love to try to help you, but unfortunately, if your son doesn't want to do the work, they just need more time, and that's okay, you know. Right, and everyone's on their own timeline with it. Uh, and then we, mm. you know, we've worked with people in their seventies before, but I'd say the majority of people we work with are anywhere from twenty to forty five
1: I see okay, but I think you know I, i'm I'm on a bit of a rant myself uh about the issue of parenting, yeah, has to change for kids with disabilities because parents are so afraid that they're that's where where kids learn not to take risk. Because their parents are telling, you know, it's scary to take a risk and you shouldn't take it. You might hurt yourself and I'm your your parent and I want to make sure that you uh, stay safe. So do nothing. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's there's all different sorts of it, too. because uh, Because yeah. the fear that a parent has of how bad the child's life is going to be with their disability, then impacts the internalized ableism of that child. So if, if you're constantly f- fearful and, oh my God, I'm so, you know, I, if you tell your kid, we know it's going to be so hard and there's going to be really hard moments and we're always here for you and that's all that you say, then your kid's going to grow up thinking that their disability is the worst thing in the world,
1: right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. And I,
0: I recommend saying your disability is going to be an amazing part of who you are and we love that you're disabled, and we know that at times it's going to be really challenging, and we're here to support you with it as well. The balance,
1: yeah, I think that's a good word, balance. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a very broad question. What do you think needs to happen? You know, how can we? You know, you know, if if you and I were have a, a red cape and a blue union suit and come out and you know the phone booth. To change, what has to change? Is there anything, is it just individuals as opposed to the whole uh, world that uh, someone with a disability comes into? Mm -hmm. How do you like that?
0: I love it. Uh, It basically goes into my whole philosophy because in my experience, the entire disabled community is so focused, and rightfully so, on how the world and how society treats people with disabilities and how inaccessible the world is, which is just a fact, and that does need to change. And if we're constantly focused on the outside and we don't gain the necessary skills, self-worth, confidence, self-advocacy, boundaries, if we don't gain all those tools, and how are we going to stand up for our ourselves when we face that inaccessibility? And and beyond that, how are we going to stand up and actually create change in society and throughout the whole world? And I'm a big believer that it starts on the ground level with you. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't know how to solve your own inaccessibility or to work through those different challenges, then you're going to have a really hard time trying to solve it with you know huge societal challenges. And to me, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people to work through their own issues, to gain their confidence, to gain the self-advocacy skills, to gain the skills in how to set and hold healthy boundaries so that they can show up and live a life that they know is in design with how they want to live. And then if they choose to, right, because it's not a responsibility of every person with a disability, but if they choose to, they can then take those skills and start using them for broader worldwide or societal wide advocacy as well. Because both things I believe need to change.
1: Does that answer mm. your question? Yep, that sure does. Okay. And, good. <laughs> and I, I couldn't agree with you more. It is a it is a question. I, I think it does start with us. It does. Uh, but more than that, we just have to be aware that there's going to be pushback all over the place. But that's that's the way life is. It is. And you know nobody's going to suddenly uh, say, "Hey, you've got the message, and I will follow it." No, they say, "Oh, you're you're blind, or you're or whatever your disability is," and uh, you know, we think we're you're the wrong path to follow. Well, mm-hmm. we can convince people if we believe in ourselves. Yeah, exactly. That that's the big piece, and we have to. That means undoing some parental uh, mishandling, if you will. Yeah, uh, But the parents, you, we can't blame our parents. We have to just know that they were brought up with a certain view about disability. And so but that doesn't mean we have to follow it or we have to be a victim of it. Mm-hmm. We have to just decide, okay, we can do it. And that kind of optimism, it sounds like you really uh, instill in the people that you're working with. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And for me, I I try and... Well, I don't even try. I don't look at it as like a positive mindset or an optimistic mindset. I actually look at it as a realistic mindset because
1: mm-hmm.
0: the if you were basing your mindset in like the in the lies of society, they're, they're lies, right? Saying that disabled people aren't worthy partners or they aren't worthy employees or they're not able to contribute to society in big impactful ways. Well, all those things have been completely disproven just in in my own personal experience but also with all the disabled people that I know around me and all the blind people I know around me so why would you believe that right it's not a positive mindset it's an actual realistic mindset you know it's also positive it's also optimistic but it's coming from a place of fact and when you look at it as factual and the truth that you are capable rather than you're optimistic that you're capable, that's a whole oh. different energy. Good you point, It's a point. whole mm-hmm. different energy. It does, it does have the outcome of being more optimistic, uh, but the root needs to be from that level of ownership and acceptance and truth.
1: Well, if we if we you know try to pretend we're optimistic, that's yes. you know false basis to but if we believe in ourselves, in our, you know, I I tell people sometimes I was too too naive to realize that I can't do it. I just did it. Yeah. And which is not a bad, <laughs> a bad way. What if it's naivety it takes for us to know the uh or, or not realize that we could possibly fail. That's uh, certainly uh, a help. Yeah, exactly. And
0: it's I like the way that you said it. Believe in yourself. True, mm-hmm. honest belief in yourself and what you're capable of, and balancing that with knowing what you're not capable of. Right? Yeah. It's like even little things. You know, my girlfriend says is there a stain on my shirt? I said, you're asking the wrong guy. I, I can tell you from what I can see, there's no stain. That is not a good source of information though. Right. <laughs> and instead of it being like, I'm sad, it's just, it's funny, you know, like I, right, and she right. laughs and like, she'll still ask me cause I'm the only one there. She can't ask our dog, yeah, you know, yeah, and that's fine. Right. And I tell her as much as I can and like, great, you know, but I'm honest about what I, what my limits are too. Right, and right. that is also a strength, right? It doesn't mean it has has to make your life limited or your yeah. or your uh self-worth limited. It just means you know what you can do and what you can't do.
1: Right. Right. And sometimes we have to try to find out that well, this is not really making much sense. I yeah. I'm doing I'm doing a presentation in a couple of weeks. Uh, to a professional audience, and everybody else does PowerPoint. So I decided, oh, I'll put a PowerPoint together. I've never done it. Total disaster. So I <laughs> I am stepping back uh, with the uh, uh, suggestion of a number of other people, don't do it. And I said, okay, I, I know that's not my thing, so now I'm, I'm going to do handouts, and that's it. But that's part of the learning experience. And it's not like there's something wrong with me that I can't do PowerPoint. It's just not, you know, it's not really my style.
0: Right. And that's totally fine, you know? And it's cool that you went on that journey trying it, and it didn't impact the way that you look at yourself or what you believe about yourself. It's just, okay, now I know I can't do this. That was worth a shot. It's frustrating, except that it was frustrating it's probably a lot of time that you threw down the drain, but you know what? Okay, now I know I won't make that mistake again.
1: I yeah, won't we'll make that mistake again. I know that this is a lot easier. And there's nothing wrong with my doing something that's easier. Yes. Rather than what everybody else expects. Right. Say, sorry, sorry guys, you know. And I think that's a that's a whole different mindset. And yet you know, when you uh, have a disability, you try to con. One of the stages is to constantly prove that you're not disabled. Yes, and that doesn't work. It
0: doesn't <laughs> you know? work. I'll tell you right now, it doesn't work.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 it just adds to your uh, feeling of lower self worth mm-hmm. because you can't uh, mimic decided. No. Or even if you took out a magnifying glass to find see if there's a stain on your girlfriend's uh, blouse, uh, that won't cut it. No, you say nope. You're I'm the wrong person to ask. (laughs) Yeah, and that's
0: totally fine. And you know, I also try to even transform some of those moments into a a strength. And you know, I'll just look at your example. You're presenting at this conference where all these people are going to be using PowerPoints and you're going to be blind and you're going to go up there and you get to say, "Uh, you all created PowerPoints, but guess what? You get to experience it how I do. And we just get to listen and we get to learn together without the visuals. And I'm excited to share that experience with you and what I have to share. You know, like that that catches people's attention too. And that it doesn't always have to be a weakness. You don't always, I know you don't, right? But for our audience, I think sometimes it's easy to go, Oh, you know, I'm not going to have a PowerPoint. Ah, They're not going to like my presentation as much, right? Right. The difference is they're going to go. That was a memorable presentation. Did you see the guy who was super brilliant, had so many amazing things to say, was also blind, and he didn't use a PowerPoint? I didn't feel like anything was lost, right? That's the likelier outcome.
1: Well, uh, you know, I always, uh, I've always been a perfectionist, and that's not such a hot idea. But, but you're absolutely, and I'm going to use that in the beginning of the presentation say, this is what we have to understand, that people with disabilities can do whatever. It just uh, means uh, we need to do it differently. Yes. And it doesn't mean that it's any less.
0: Yeah, I always teach that. Whenever I, I, specifically when I go to schools and I speak at schools uh, with kids, I always say, being disabled means I have to do things differently. Is different always worse? And their automatic response is no, right? Different is not always worse. Different oftentimes even means innovation.
1: Yeah. It means mm-hmm.
0: opportunity and learning. You know, we didn't learn that the, that the world was, uh, you know, a sphere by continually thinking that it was a, uh, a you know, square or flat and not challenging right. the idea, right? We did things differently. And sometimes doing things differently gives us the you know not the results that we want. And it can be frustrating and other t- but eventually it gets us to a new exciting opportunity and a new place.
1: Boy, uh, talking to you really uh, helped to uh, make me feel energized. I really <laughs> appreciate your uh, your input. and uh, the question is, how can someone get a hold of you to uh, talk to you about being coached. Sure. So,
0: well, I'll also th- say thank you. I, I've loved talking with you too. It's been a great just experience and I feel energized as well. So thank you. Uh, great. Best way to get in touch with me is to. Is two ways. You can go to my Instagram, which is just Charlie Kramer Vision. Uh, Kramer with a K like Seinfeld. Or right. you can go ahead and go to my website, www.charliecramervision.com. Pretty similar. If you look up Charlie Kramer Vision, you'll find me. And, Is that one word? Yeah, it's all one word, yeah. Charlie Kramer Vision. And if you go ahead and do that, you'll also be able to go on to my website, take a look. Book an intro call, which is completely free. If you just want to talk to someone, we'll hop on a call for about 30 minutes to an hour just to connect, see what you're going through, see what the struggles are, see what the goals are, see if we can help close that gap. And if we can, we'll start working with you. And if not, we'll lead you in the direction of someone or something else that is going to be a better fit for helping you to close the gap. So it can only be a positive experience. And I absolutely, encourage Absolutely. encourage you to give us a shout.
1: Yeah. Well, Charlie, I really enjoyed this. I thank you for being on the program and certainly ask that you uh keep keep in touch with us. Awesome. And we're, we're uh what we hope that aftersight will be able to put up a resource list uh, that people can access. Uh, it's mm. kind of on hold for a number of reasons, but we're looking to put out a, a resource list so people can go to our resource list and, and find the names of people to contact for different things. Yeah. So uh, that'll be in the future, but certainly a real pleasure to have you on board. A pleasure to and be here. And for those of you who are listening, we hope that You may have some ideas and some feedback to give us. Remember, you can call at 720-712-8856 or send us an email, feedback at aftersight.org. And uh, uh, we will read them. We'll uh, uh, get back to you. And so this has been uh, Bill Lundgren at BlindSight. With the guest, Charlie Kramer, and we look forward to being in touch with you again.